Hello, and welcome to SoberCast, where we provide AA speaker meetings and workshops in podcast format. We're an ad-free podcast, and if you enjoy listening, please help us be self-supporting by visiting SoberCast.com, look for the donate link, and drop a dollar or two into our virtual basket. We hope you enjoy the podcast. Have a great day. We've got some steps to rattle through here. We've got some really big stuff. Now, we, now we've got a killer case of alcoholism. Now you're all dying of alcoholism. You need the solution now. <laughs> not tomorrow, not next week, not next year, but now. <laughs> we don't know how long we got. Seriously, you come to Alcoholics Anonymous, how long you got? If the book says week or a month. Sometimes it's quicker than that. Sometimes folks come in to meet and they, they rattle out the door and we're the last we ever see of them. They must find a solution when they come into a meeting of Alcoholics Anonymous. And this, the solution of Alcoholics Anonymous is not don't drink one day at a time. That kills people. Seriously. And folks go out and drink again. They say they didn't want it enough. They wanted it. They just didn't find it. Mm. One, of my, one of my protégés has five one-year chips in six years in Alcoholics Anonymous. He'd do a year and then he'd relax and go drink. And I saw him, he couldn't stand it anymore, and he was about to drive his car off, off, a, off a cliff, basically, on the way home. He had to drive somewhere like Big Sur, and he was going to drive off the cliff. And he worked the steps, he's on fire now. He's, he's coming up to eight years, or nine years sober. And while he's working with folks, and while he's carrying the message, he's doing fine. When he stops doing that, he goes bad. He'll go to kick his ass occasionally. <laughs> the delusion returns. Yeah. Okay. We're at self-centeredness, selfishness, self-centeredness, that we think the root of our troubles, not alcohol. Self-delusion, self-seeking, self-pity. Okay, Margareta. I want to tell you about a, a protege I had, and she had one year sober, and she uh, came to me and she said, I'm thinking about drinking. And she thought that she could drink one last time and maybe even go to detox again. And she thought that from there she could start all over again with the same mind as she had before, to, to use the same knowledge that she had before she was, she was going to drink. And I just took her aside, and, you know, and I explained that if you drink, your mind will go insane directly. You, you cannot use it again, you know. And this is the delusion that we have that someday we could drink and get away with it. That's what we, we think, you know. I just thought of that when you were telling me, us about this guy. Okay, we're um, on to step three. Selfishness, self-centeredness, that we think is the root of our troubles. Driven by a hundred forms of fear, self-delusion, self-seeking and self-pity, we step on the toes of our fellows and they retaliate. Sometimes they hurt us, seemingly without provocation, but we invariably... That means always, doesn't it? Almost always, yeah. Almost always. Fine. That at some time in the past, we have made decisions based on self, which later placed us in a position to be hurt. So our troubles, we think, are basically of our own making. 
And that is the greatest promise, I think, in this book, you know. If I really understand that the spotlight is on me, I am the one who has the problem. And if, if, if it's the other people who are causing um, all my difficulties, I have a big problem. I really have a big problem because I cannot change other people. But if I can look at what it is in me that causes all my problems, then I can get free. So that is a big promise if I can see it in the right way, because I, ca I cannot do anything about other people. This is uh, for me. I have to do this. The spotlight's on me. They arise out of ourselves. And the alcoholic is almost the most extreme example that could be found on self-will run riot. Though he usually doesn't think so. I love that. <laughs> above everything, above everything, we alcoholics must be rid of this selfishness. We must or it kills us. God makes that possible. Not me. God makes that possible. And there is no way of entirely getting rid of self without him. Do you see how positive the original, the original writing is? That it doesn't say that there seems to be no way. It says there is no way of entirely getting rid of self without God. It's very positive about what they're doing here. It's not goofy at all. It's not, it's not, there's no grey area here. They're telling you exactly what, what, what we're talking about. You, it says... You may have moral and philosophical convictions galore, but you can't live up to them even though you would like to. We've already looked at that and we're agnostics. Hmm. Neither can you reduce your self-centeredness much by wishing or trying on your own power. You must have God's help. This is the how and why of it. What is the how? First of all, quit playing God yourself. Quit playing God yourself. Why? It doesn't work. How do we play God? We play God by those pages 60, 61, 62, by trying to manage life to suit us. I know what you want. I know what is best for you, and what best for you is the same as me. I am playing God by trying to arrange everything to suit myself. I'm not accepting life on life's terms or life's on God's terms. I want it on my terms. I even want to change the weather. You know, sunny, too hot. Raining, too wet. Just on me. You know, when it rains, it's on me. It's not on you guys. You, you, I'm, it's me. Personal. I take weather personal. I want to change the weather. I'm playing God. <laughs> okay, so it describes that on page 60, 61 and 62. They're pivotal. Those three pages are pivotal to what we're doing. That's why they come before the third step, not before the fourth step. I often thought, why are they there? Why aren't they with the fourth step? But it's about the third step. We're going to give that up. We're going, we're, we, we want to separate ourselves from that. We don't know how and we don't have the power, but we make a decision to separate ourselves from that at step three. Next, decide that hereafter in this drama of life, God is going to be your director. Okay, a director from a dictionary. Director, one who supervises, controls, or manages. 
a member of a group or persons chosen to control or govern the affairs or inst an institutional corporation, a person who supervises the creative aspects of a dramatic production or film instructs the actors and crew. It's already told me I'm an actor, I'm going to get instructions. And supervises the creative aspects. I've been supervising the creative aspects, I want to change the weather. Great relief, I don't have to do it anymore. Phew. <laughs> Carry on. You Please. are to be his agent. Agent. One who acts or has the power or authority to act. One empowered to act or represent another. What are they just saying? To me, a drunk. That when I've done this, I'm going to be an agent of the power that runs the universe. I am going to be empowered to act for that power. What about that? Got to be careful of that. The ego will pick up on that and <laughs> go places. But that's what it's saying. You see, we've got to really look at the words that they're using. That I am going to be an agent of God if I do this. Continue, please. He's the father and you are his child. Father. A man who raises a child. A man who creates, originates, or founds something. My creator, child, a son or daughter, an offspring. I am an offspring of God. How about that? A member of a tribe. We're a tribe. We're a good tribe. This is tribal, what we're doing here. This is tribal. This is what tribes do. Tribes tell stories to each other. This is what we do. This is what we're doing here today. We're being tribal today. That's what these things are all about. We are cementing the tribe. It's really interesting. A descendant. I'll take it again. God is going to be your director. He's the principal. You are to be his agent. You are to be his agent. He's the father and you are his child. Get that simple relationship right, Bill Wright. Yeah. What's he saying? Get the relationship right. He's the boss, I'm the kid. Get He's the director, I'm the actor. Get that right. That's what he's just said. Don't do, try and do it the other way around. Because I used to pray and tell God what to do. <laughs> Most good ideas are simple, and this concept is to be the keystone of the new and triumphant arch through which you will pass to freedom. Keystone, central wedge-shaped stone of an arch that locks the parts together. Without the keystone, the arch falls down. When you sincerely take such a position, all sorts of remarkable things follow. You have a new employer. A person, business, firm, etc., that employs workers. A person who employs a user. I'm going to be employed by God himself. That's what they're saying. It's what the big book says. We've got to, we, we've got to either, either believe it or not. Being all-powerful, he must necessarily provide what you need. If you keep close to him and perform his work well. Two conditions. Keep close to this power and perform this power's work, we're going to be all okay. There's a promise. 
And I will have to surrender my will. Aha, that's the problem. Hmm. <laughs> For us alcoholics, that's a problem. Established <laughs> on such a footing, you become less and less interested in yourself, your little plans and designs, and more and more you become interested in seeing what you can contribute to life. <clears throat> Because I had been a taker all my life, and now I am going to be a giver and work for God and perform His work well. Not my work, His work. As you feel new power flow in, as you enjoy peace of mind, as you discover you can face life successfully, as you become conscious of His presence, you begin to lose fear of today, tomorrow, or the hereafter. And you ha will have been reborn. Reborn with a different attitude and a different way of thinking to life. They're, 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 not, they're, not, they're not giving us little promises here. They're giving us a huge thing. They're telling us that we will change in our attitude towards life if we do these things. But it doesn't happen at the third step. This, this, what's the name? You, it says you will feel, feel new power flow in. It doesn't happen just at the third step. We have to continue kicking open the door, as it were. Yeah, it says you begin. Begin. You begin to lose your fear of today, tomorrow, begin. and the hereafter. Process. And reborn, I will get a new mind. Yeah. A new mind. Before we get to the prayer, there are two decisions that we, that we need to make for step three. Two decisions. The prayer is not the decision. The prayer is the seal on the decision to go further. There are two decisions. The first decision comes immediately after um, immediately after um, the A, B's and C's. If you are convinced you are now at step three, which is you make a decision to turn your will and your life over to God as you understand it. There's the first decision. The second decision is this is the how and the why of it. First of all, quit going and playing God. It doesn't work. Next, decide that in this drama of life, so we're going to make a decision that God's the director. He's the principal. We are his agents. He is the father. We are his child. If I make that, that decision that that relationship is going to be how, as it is, that I'm going to stop playing God, that I'm going to, put, I'm going to seek direction from this power, that I'm going to work for this power and I'm going to be an agent of this power and I listen for the directions and he's going to be the father or the mother, whatever you believe. No one ever tells you in Alcoholics Anonymous what to believe. If anybody tells you in Alcoholics Anonymous that you have to follow a particular religion to get, to get well in Alcoholics Anonymous, smile at them, say you might be right and carry on. Do whatever you do, follow your bliss. This is open and broad and roomy for everyone. I get very upset with people who proselytize inside Alcoholics Anonymous. It does not belong here. One of the great things about Alcoholics Anonymous is it's an open door. We come from a Christian organization, no doubt about it, from the Oxford group. But the alcoholics kicked open the door for everybody, of every religion and none. Make up your own even. <laughs> okay. It's very important that we keep that outside of Alcoholics Anonymous. I have nothing against organized religion, absolutely none. 
but we keep it outside of Alcoholics Anonymous because some folks come to Alcoholics Anonymous and they will walk away from us and they need us desperately if we start doing that craziness. One of the great things about Alcoholics Anonymous is it's an open, broad, roomy door. We'll take anybody. <laughs> All the gods send their alcoholics to Alcoholics Anonymous. <laughs> so, so the second, that second decision... There's two decisions here. Am I willing to take those two decisions? If I'm willing to make those two decisions or have made those two decisions, I now seal it with the prayer. And in the original manuscript, they tell us how to do that. It says, get down on your knees. Now, I was told I didn't like to do that. I'd been forced to do that an awful lot when I was a kid. In a Catholic school, we used to pray every hour or so. We used to stand up, actually, between, between the classes. So between we finished math and we go to history, we'd stand up and we'd say to our Marys and our father or something. And then we'd sit down and we'd do the, and then between history and between, you know, all this stuff. But somebody once said, if you, if you are in a, a position of humility, there was a, a, an author called C.S. Lewis. And C.S. Lewis wrote... Um, he was he he was actually um, an atheist, and he became he became uh, he was converted to Christianity. There was some there was a guy called Tolkien, um, who was his friend, who tried to make him turn him into a Catholic. And C.S. Lewis didn't want to be a Catholic, and he found he find something else, Church of England. But he wrote a book called The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe, and all those kind of the Narnia. He also wrote a book called The Screwtape Letters, and in the Screwtape Letters. This demon is writing a letter to his nephew who's learning to tempt humans. And in this letter to his nephew, he says, never let, never let the human kneel down when he prays. Because you see, they are animals. And what they do to their bodies affects their spirit. What they do to their bodies affects their spirit. So if we... Take an attitude of humility. It affects our spirit into humility. If I stand up defiant with my head up looking at God praying, I'm not in a I'm not open to whatever comes. If I take up a position of humility, which is kneeling, then I may be open to whatever comes. But they told you here directions, get down on your knees. <laughs> it's your choice. And to say to your maker, as you understand him, and there's that wonderful open door, as you understand him, not as I understand him, but as you understand him. At here, at the third step, my understanding of God at the third step is totally different from my understanding of God at the twelfth step. But as I understand him right now, very, very imperfect, maybe there is, maybe there isn't. And it says, God, I offer myself to thee, and I didn't like the thee until somebody told me that it was a very intimate way of talking in a family in the 17th century. It's like we say in French, that we have vous in French, which is you, but in families and to people we love, it's tu, which means the same, but it's more intimate. You wouldn't say that to friends, you would only say it to people within your intimate, your intimate uh, family or relationship. So thee is an intimate way of addressing God. We're starting to have this relationship with this power. It's personal. It's intimate. To build with me 
and do with me as thou wilt, as you will. You're the director. Relieve me of the bondage of self, the slavery. I'm chained to me. I'm chained to me. I'm chained to the way that I think. It's saying, break those chains for me. That I may better do thy will. So I can do God's will, not my will. Take away my difficulties. There's a, this, we're going to do a bargain here. This is a, this, we're doing a deal with God. Take away my difficulties that victory over them may bear witness to those I would help. Let me be an example of what the power can do in my life. I'm asking God to change me from, a, uh, from, a, from an alcoholic to someone who can be useful and to be an example of that. That's why on a 12-step call, I go on a 12-step call, I clean up before I go. This isn't emergency service. I clean up and I try and arrive on a 12-step call looking like a recovered alcoholic. Clean clothes, hair brushed, even if I've got to go home and change on the way. So I look like a recovered alcoholic. I don't look like a drunk that's just come off the street. Take away my difficulties of victory over them to bear witness to those I would help of thy power, God's power, not mine. God's love, thy love, and thy way of life. And thy way of life for this alcoholic is these 12 steps. May I do thy will always. Think well before taking this step. Oh, we just did it. Shoot. <laughs> Be sure you're ready that you can last abandon yourself utterly to him. That's big. That's like letting go of everything that we think is helping us to get along in life. It's like the guy that fell off the cliff. The guy fell off the cliff and he's tumbling down and he's reaching out trying to scrabble something and he grabs hold of a little little twig. And he's hanging by one hand on this little twig and this little twig is starting to come out of the cliff. And he knows that there's a 2,000 foot drop downwards and there's 2,000 foot up and he's stuck. And so he starts to pray, God, get me out of here. And then this voice comes and says, this is God. Are you ready to follow any direction to get out of your predicament? The guy says, yeah, yeah, I'll do anything. God says, let go of the branch. And the guy goes, is there anybody else up there? <laughs> and that's what we've got to do, let go of the branch. Now, when I was a little kid, I used to walk along a wall on the way on a walk that my father used to take me on a walk. And I could get on the wall at one end. It was on a slight hill. I could get on the wall at one end. But when I got to the other end, it was too high for me to jump down. And my dad used to stand at the end and say, okay, son, jump, I'll catch you. And I used to launch myself off knowing that he was going to catch me. That's how we got to be. Step three. That's what we're doing at step three. We're jumping off the wall. We've got to be convinced that this got power, this God, as we understand, will catch us. My experience is that if we work these steps, God catches us. It may not be where we think he's going to catch us, but God catches us. Okay? And when we have made that decision, which is to turn our will and our lives over to the care of God as we understood him, and how do I do that? To find this power, I work steps 4 till 12. Next. Not tomorrow. Not next week. As soon as we get up off our needs. Next. 
we launch out on a course of vigorous action. We haven't taken any action yet, you know. We've, made a de- we, we, we've come to a realisation, step one. We've made a decision, or, we've, or we've, we've come to believe, we've just sort of said, okay, well, maybe there's something out there. And we made a decision. We can do all that sitting on our ass on a, on a settee. Seriously. Now what we've got to do is we've got to go and make do some work. And I missed that next because it's two lines up from the bottom of page 63. And I'm an alcoholic. I know what's coming next. I only read the middle of the page, turn the page over. I never saw next. And then it goes on. It starts to tell us about... It says, therefore, we start a personal inventory. And they talk about a, a business, about looking at the business. And the business would look at milk sour, get rid of it. Milk okay, we can make profit on that. Very, very factual. Let's read what, what the actual words say when they talk about resentment is the number one offender. We're on page um, we're on page sixty four. Do you want to read that? Mm, Resentment, right. number one offender. Either, either. Mm-hmm. They said we do exactly the same as they would do with a, with a, an inventory in a shop, where you look at the, or your grocery store. You look at what you can sell and what you can't sell. You get rid of what you can't sell and you keep what you can. You replace the stock of what you can't sell, what's gone bad. You replace the stock. There's no vacuums here. We don't get depleted. There's no such thing as a spiritual vacuum. Okay, that you you make you make room, the power comes in. That's how it is. There's no such thing as a spiritual vacuum. Okay. Yeah. I will read this again. Next, at once, we launched out on a course of vigorous action. The first step of which is a personal house cleaning, which you have never in all probability attempted. (laughs) (laughs) Though your decision is a vital and crucial step, it can have little permanent effect. Permanent effect. I can have a, a, a great effect from the third step, but it won't last. It won't last. Unless at once followed by a strenuous effort to face and to be rid of, what a promise, the things in yourself which have been blocking you. From the power. I block myself from the power. I create the spiritual malady. The spiritual malady is me blocking myself off from the power. There's nothing wrong with my spirit. My spirit is is alive and well. I've covered it. I'm blocking it. I'm covering it over. It's like a lamp. You get a lamp and you stick a blanket over the lamp. The lamp's still fine. You just can't see the light. And that's exactly what we do with our spirit, is that we cover it with selfishness, self-centeredness, dishonesty, fear and resentment. Nothing wrong with our spirit. We create the spiritual malady. We'll see. Read on, Margareta, please. Mm. And that's why I should get excited about doing this. You know, to see what is blocking me. Mm. 
Your liquor is but a symptom. Let's now get down to basic causes and conditions. Therefore, you start upon a personal inventory. This is step four. A business which takes no regular inventory usually goes broke. And it says regular. Regular inventory. Yeah, it doesn't say once. Regular. Work and rework these steps. And the first one doesn't have to be perfect. No. Taking a commercial inventory is a fact-finding and a fact-facing process. It's an effort to discover the truth about the stock in trade. Its object is to disclose damaged or unsaleable goods, to get rid of them promptly and without regret. If the owner of the business is to be successful, he cannot fool himself about values. Notice it doesn't say hang on to anything that's good. It just talks about getting rid of stuff that's bad. Yes. We do exactly the same thing with our lives. We take stock honestly. First, we search out the flaws in our makeup which have caused our failure. Being convinced that self manifested in various ways is what has defeated us. We consider its common manifestations. Okay, am I convinced? Am I convinced about that? If not, go back to page 60, 61 and 62. That's, it's pivotal. That's what we're looking for, is how we show up in page 60, 61, 62. Resentment is the number one offender. I thought it was alcohol. <laughs> it. What? It. The resentment. Resentment. Destroys more alcoholics than anything else. Resentments. Refeeling comes from the Latin resentire to refeel again and again and again. Somebody calls me a name when I'm a kid. I'm 40 years old. I can remember him calling me a name. Every time I remember it, I call myself a name again. He stopped doing it 40 years ago. I'm still doing it to me. I am refeeling. Again and again and again. From it. What? Resentment. Steam all forms of spiritual disease. All forms of spiritual disease. By holding resentment, I'm shutting myself off from the power. That's why I need to find resentments, because I have resentments. People who say they don't have resentments, I always ask them, How, do you feel superior to anybody? The opposite of resentment. <laughs> I hate this person. <laughs> For we have been not only mentally and physically ill, we have been spiritually sick. Now I think if we'd have, if they would, they've just spent 52 pages telling us what's wrong with us. <laughs> if we suffered from a spiritual malady, they'd have talked about it there. But we don't. What we suffer from is an oversized ego that shuts us off from the sunlight of the spirit. And we want our way all the time. And when we don't get our way, we get drunk. They don't treat me right. We don't suffer from low self-esteem. <laughs> when the spiritual malady is overcome, we straighten out mentally and physically. 
So that's have, good. Now that's good news. That we have tools here now that are going to straighten out the spiritual malady. That's all I've got to work on. Everything else is going to follow all by itself like a train. In dealing with resentments, we set them on paper. Don't do it in your head. No. Put it, write it down. Make a list. Don't do it on a, a computer. Write it down. <laughs> There's something about a pen, paper, and actually move, making the words. That's the first instruction. List people, institutions, or principles with whom you are angry. Okay, first, first direction. Make a list. Just make a list. Sit down, make a list. First of all, all the obvious ones. Ask God, is there any more? Keep on asking, is there any more? Are there any more people? Show me what I need to see to do this. Make a list. Just make a list. Just keep on making a list. Spend time. Sit quiet. Okay, God, show me who I resent, who people that I need to put down on this list. And then just write. Whatever comes into your head, write. You can discard it later. But you're making a list. That's what you're doing first. That's just a list. And the list you write from up and down. Yeah, top to bottom. Top to blah, bottom. Blah, 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 blah. Like when you go to the shop. Yeah. You have a list. And it's people, institutions, and principles. Institutions are large corporations, banks, etc., 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 governments. I mean, I had governments on my list. Principles. Votes for women, racial equality, religions, principles. Hmm. And that is the first column. That's the first column. Okay. Then they say that we... That we um, ask ourselves why we are angry. So what I do is I take, I, I take, I, I, I don't have special forms for this, just mechanics as the big book lays out. There is an example on page 65 of how they do the first three columns. I've taken Mr. Brown. I've got an A4 sheet of paper. I've made two columns. I've put Mr. Brown here. I can put maybe more on there, but I made it nice and big. And I've taken Mr. Brown. And there are three resentments against Mr. Brown. Now, notice that there are three resentments against Mr. Brown, but he doesn't tell a story. He makes a statement. And the statement is, attention to my wife. Now, he could have written pages on that. But it's objective. Uh, there's 29, I think there's, there's 28 words here or something like that, or 18 words here. 19, and there's 19, yeah, 19 words in this particular one. And there was one very famous person in Alcoholics Anonymous that used to say, we can negotiate about the 20th word, but I haven't given it away yet. So we keep it very much as a statement. We try and be dispassionate about this. Because the more I write, the more resentful I'm going to be. This is, a this is an exercise to get rid of resentment, not to increase it. Okay, so I look at what's name, uh, the cause. Now, I was told to go down the columns, write all the, write all the names down on columns, and then go back and do the next column and go down all the columns. I like to do them one at a time. Mr. Brown, okay, three resentments. Attention to my wife, told my wife about my mistress. Oh, that's news. These guy's playing away from home. <laughs> Mr. Brown may get my job at the office. Well, he's doing some stuff at the office too. Okay. What does it affect? 
And I think it's very, very important that we understand what these things are, what it affects. And we are asked in the, in the against our grudge list, it says, was it our self-esteem, our security, our ambitions, our personal or sexual relations which have been interfered with? What is my self-esteem? My self-esteem. It's no good to say, oh yeah, my self-esteem is affected. What is it? It's my deep down belief of who I am. That's my self-esteem. Now, we don't suffer from low self-esteem, I don't believe. Because if I suffered from low self-esteem, which we hear quite a lot in the rooms of Alcoholics Anonymous, oh, I've got low self-esteem. Oh, low self-esteem. Do you get angry at anybody? Oh, yeah. Okay. They ain't treating you right. We've got far too much esteem, self-esteem. Nobody <laughs> treats us right. You see. If I had low self-esteem, people treated me bad, I'd just go, oh, yeah, well, okay. That's, that's how it is. But no, no, we get angry. We got far too much self-esteem. It's part of what's wrong with us. Pride. Pride actually gets thrown in right at the bottom. They don't put it in the list on page 65, but he throws it in at the bottom of the list alongside his wife. Pride is how I want others to see me being treated by the person I resent. Ambition. What do I want? So that so that I can be okay and live happily. What do I want? What do I want from you, from what, so I can be okay and live happy. My security. What do I need to exist on this planet? Personal relations. How should family, friends and colleagues see or treat me? Sex relations. What is my belief about men and women? Pocketbook. What is the effective value? It might not be money. It might be emotional security. So I look at these and I look at what's affected. This one here is attention to my wife's sex relations, self-esteem. Fear. <laughs> If fear comes up when we're doing the third column, I say to my guys, start a fear list. It's easy. Just write a list. Start a fear list. Every time you see fear, write down the fear. I'm frightened of Mr. Brown. I'm frightened of my wife. I'm frightened of being found out. Write down the fear. Make a separate list. Okay? And I do this for the... I do it like what's well, so like the, uh, like the, the example there. We can see the example. We don't need a special form. We can see the example in front of us. Three columns. Okay? We follow that. Mr. Brown, Ms. Mrs. Jones, the employer, the wife. What did they do? Write it down, what they did. Make it, make it a statement. Then look at what it affects. We're told what it affects on page 65 and on bottom of page 64. They tell us twice what it affects. We found our self-esteem, our pocketbooks, our ambition, personal relations, including sex, were hurt or threatened. And then it says, was it our self-esteem, our security, our ambitions, our personal sex relations which had been interfered with? What we think has been interfered with. This may not be true, but what do we think? It doesn't have to be factual. It's what we think is interfered with. All right? It doesn't have to be factual. Okay. 
We go back through our lives, nothing counted but thoroughness and honesty. It doesn't have to be perfect, but we end up with three columns like this. We're going to turn the sheet over to the so-called fourth column, all right? But we end up with, with a whole bunch of sheets of paper, and I think there's very few of us these days that don't have access to A4 paper. All right. Now, there may be some, but then their sponsor has probably got access to A4 paper and can give them a whole bunch. And I'm really, I really don't like checklists because it's so easy to check all the boxes and it doesn't mean anything. I've got to consider this. This is an analysis of what I do on page 60, 61, 62 that blocks me off from the sunlight of the spirit. This is important. Okay, then we've got the bridge. <laughs> do you want to do the bridge? Yeah, I want to read what it says here first. When you are finished with your three columns, consider it carefully. Okay, so carefully. I'm now going to study this. Okay. And the first thing apparent to you is that this world and its people are often quite wrong. <laughs> <laughs> and to conclude that others are wrong is as far as most of us ever got. Yeah. I, I do this in my head sitting in the bar. Yes. This isn't new. This is the first time I've written this down, but this is not new. <laughs> Taking others' inventory all the time. All the time. <laughs> The usual outcome is that people continue to wrong us, and you stay sore. Sometimes it's remorse, and then you are sore at yourself. But the more you fight and try to have your way, the worse matters get. Isn't that so? Bill writes. Bill writes, he's asking so? the question, isn't that yes. right? Isn't that so? Do you see how directly they're talking to us in the original manuscript? He's having a conversation with us. Whereas in this manifest, we, 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 our... No, no, he's having a direct conversation with the di this where it says, clear-cut direction. The original manuscript works, you see. Isn't that so? As in war, victors only seem to win. Your moments of triumph are short-lived. It is plain. This is the bridge. This is the bridge. Do you want to read it? All right. Uh, we need to press on. If you can do it quickly, that would be great. I can read it. It is plain that a, that a way of life which includes deep resentment leads only to futility and unhappiness. Turn that into a question. Is it plain? Is it plain for me? To the precise extent that I permit this, do I squander the hours that might have been worthwhile? But with the alcoholic, whose only hope is the maintenance and growth of a spiritual experience, this business of resentment is infinitely grave. We find that it's fatal. Just killed us. For when harboring such feelings, we shut ourselves off from the sunlight of the spirit. Harboring, giving a safe haven to. I look after these resentments. I nurture these resentments. 
often these resentments are the reason why I act in particular ways. They have become my the reason why I do certain things. And they become excuses for all sorts of behaviour. Oh, my, my parents treated me this way. I used to have a, a maths teacher that used to beat me up badly because I didn't do maths. I mean, he was very physical. He used to clap me in the back of the head and told me I was stupid. I would tell you until I started to do this, I couldn't do math. I teach astro-navigation. There's a hell of a lot of calculations go on in that. I can do it. But I told myself because I was lazy, basically. But it became an excuse. I had a resentment against the guy. It became an excuse for not doing something that I, that I can actually do. Continue, Margareta, please. Mm. For when harboring such feelings, we shut ourselves off from the sunlight of the spirit and the insanity of alcohol returns and we drink again. And with us, to drink is to die. They killed us again. If we are to live... Not, we must, not die, they killed us again. We must be free from anger. The grouch and the brainstorm are not for us. They may be the dubious luxury of normal men, but for alcoholics, these things are poison. Poison kills. They killed us again. Because I drink on them. And then Bill writes, Turn back to your list, for it holds the key to your future. Three columns. Hold the key to the future. You must be prepared to look at it from an entirely different angle. You will begin to see that the world and its people really dominate you. In your present state, the wrongdoings of others, fancied or real, has power to actually kill you. How shall you escape? They killed us again, by the way. Seven times on this page. You see that these resentments must be mastered, but how? You cannot wish them away any more than alcohol. This is our course. Okay, when a ship takes a course, you, you steer in a particular direction. And ships go in straight lines. I know, I've driven them. Don't go like this, you go straight lines. So we're going to change course here. Off we go. We've got ten minutes, my love. We've got to press. I'm not going to read this? No, no, we've got to press on. Yeah? Uh, yeah, please. <laughs> I am. Okay. Uh, <laughs> this is our course. The, the, this is how they, they did it. The hundred first men who recovered. This is our course. Realize at once that the people who wrong you are spiritually sick. Though you don't like their symptoms, column two, and the way they disturb you, column three, they, like yourself, are sick too. Ask God to help you show them the same tolerance, pity, and patience that you would cheerfully grant a friend who has cancer. When a person next offends, like if it happens tomorrow, someone offends me tomorrow, say to yourself, this is a sick man. How can I be helpful to him? God saved me from being angry. Thy will be done. We hear sometimes in Alcoholics Anonymous when we have a resentment against somebody, we pray for them. No, we don't. No, we don't, because then we're telling God to change them. We pray for ourselves 
so that we get a new attitude. Because if other people have to change for me to be happy, I'm going to be miserable the rest of my life. Hmm. We're praying for us. We're not praying for them. We've got no power over them. We can't change them. We don't even want to change them anymore. We've got a new course. We've altered course. Okay. It's me who has to change, not them. Never argue. Never retaliate. You wouldn't treat sick people that way. If you do, you destroy your chance of being helpful. You cannot be helpful to all people, but at least God will show you how to take a kindly and tolerant view of each and every one, because I understand that they are spiritually sick when they do things wrong to me, just as myself. And then it says, take up your list again. Putting out of your mind the wrongs others have done, resolutely look for your own mistakes. Okay, turn the page over. We're going to, uh, we're going to answer a series of questions. The questions are in this paragraph. Resolutely look at your own mistakes. The first thing I'm going to ask is, is this event true or false? Because it says the wrongdoings of others, true or false, is actually the power to kill. So the first thing I'm going to do is ask myself, is this true? The second thing is I'm going to write a sentence on each of these questions. It asks us to say, where had we been selfish? Specifically, it's not have I been selfish. Have I been selfish is a tick box. It's a check box. What it's asking us is to be specific about where have I been selfish? I need to write a sentence about that. Where have I been selfish around this person? Where have I been dishonest with this person? Where have I been self-seeking with this person? want to get my own way. Where have I been frightened around this person? So it's a series of questions. This is the so-called fourth column. But I like my guys to write a sentence saying exactly where they think they have been selfish, dishonest, self-seeking or afraid. Though the situation has not been entirely our fault, we tried to disregard the other person entirely. The way to do that is to turn a piece of paper over so you can't even see who this is. You just put their name at the top in the event is true or false. I'm not looking at what they did. I'm now looking at what I'm doing on one page. I can't see what they did anymore. Where were we to blame? So, where am I to blame? Question. Where am I to blame? What did I do in the past that set, set this whole thing up? The inventory was ours, not the other man's. We saw our faults and listed them. So now I make a list of my now I make a list of my character defects. What it says. Read the black bits. We end up with a page. We end up with three columns on one side of the page. We end up with our faults on the other side of the page. Where had I been specifically? Where had I been? If I can see where I, where I have been dishonest, where I've been afraid, where I've been self-seeking, where I've been frightened, I can see the harms that I've done this person. So at the same time, I can see what harm I've done this person. And I can write down the harm, and I can write down the harm of other, people's that I've done, other people that I've done as well, that around this person. So I'm making my amends list at the same time as I'm doing my four-step inventory. It's what it says in the book to do. I'm not making this up. It says it here in black and white. It says here, we, list, we saw our faults and listed them. We placed them before us in black and white. We wrote them down. This is my fault. I am selfish. I am dishonest. I am afraid. I am self-seeking. 
If I write, I am self-seeking, I am dishonest, I am afraid, I am, I am selfish, 50 times, I start to get the idea that maybe I'm selfish, maybe I'm dishonest, maybe I'm self-seeking, maybe I'm afraid. It's the point. That's the point. And then we make, and, 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 and then it says, we admitted our wrongs honestly and were willing to set these matters straight. Sounds like step eight to me. So what I'm doing when I'm doing step four is I'm listing my character defects, I'm listing the harms, and I'm saying, yes, I'm willing to get these, get, set these straight. That's what it says in the book. And then it says, notice the word fear is, is, is alongside the difficulties with Mr. Jones, the employer, the wife. Short, how, this short word somehow touches about every aspect of our lives. It's an evil and corroding thread. It breaks us apart. Breaks us apart, fear. It pulls us apart. If you've got a cloth with a thread that's, that's like a metal thread that's corroded inside, it's going to tear the, 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 the cloth apart. That's what happens to us. It says that we, it's, it, brought, it brought us misfortune we felt we didn't deserve. It says we reviewed our fears thoroughly on page 68. We put them down on paper. We make a fear list. We make another list of fears. Though we had no resentment in connection with them. So I've got lots of fear around the resentments. So I transfer each one of these fears onto a separate list. Then I add on the fears that I don't have resentments against. Crazy fears like I'm fear of the dark, I'm frightened of spiders, I don't like snakes, I'm frightened of sharks, I'm frightened of being alone, I'm frightened of being with people, I'm frightened of work, I'm frightened of not working. And I make the list. And then it says, it's very simple fear, you can do it straight away. It says, we asked, we asked ourselves why we had them. So the second, if you like, alongside each fear, I asked myself why I've got it. And they answer it. Wasn't it because self-reliance failed us? I'm relying on me to fix the fear. We once had self-confidence, confidence, but we didn't fully fear that didn't fully solve the fear problem or any other. When it made us cocky, it was worse. And it says on the original manuscript, that we are now to go Perhaps there's a better way we think so, for you are now to go on a different basis. We've set a new course. We are now going on a different basis. The basis of trusting and relying upon God. You trust your infinite God rather than your finite self. You're in the world to play the role he assigns. We've already said that in step three. Just to the extent that you do as you, would, as you think he would have you. That sounds like a meditation. What do I think God would have me be in this sphere? and humbly rely on him does he enable you to match calamity with serenity and then it says in the next paragraph that we never we trust our God we never apologize for God instead we let him demonstrate through us what he can do ask him we ask God it's about two thirds of the way down page 68 ask God to remove our fear and direct our attention to what he would have us be take each fear Ask God, say the prayer. Please God, remove the sphere from me. Show me what you would have me be. 
We do that straight away. We don't have to wait for the fifth step. We can do it when we've got our fear list. Do it straight away. It says that if we do that, we commence to outgrow fear. Straight away. We don't have to wait for a fifth step. That's what it says <laughs> in the big book. Okay, we're going to take a 10-minute break. And we're going to talk about sex afterwards. And we come back in. We, we're going to do. We've done fear. We're going to talk about sex. We do. We run through the sex thing quickly, and then we'll rattle into ten, eleven, and twelve. Thanks for listening. I hope you enjoyed the podcast. Sobercast is ad-free, and we'd like your help in order to keep it that way. So, if you'd like to help us be self-supporting by pledging a dollar to a month, visit sobercast.com and look for the donate links. Thank you very much.